The world around us is changing faster than ever before. before. From automation, artificial intelligence, big data, geolocation, to every aspect of how we work and live. This includes data. Welcome, Welcome. to Data Welcome. Gurus Podcast. Our mission is to bring you a real-life perspective on what's happening in the industry and how successful companies and individuals in this niche navigate through the sea of change. Encouraging you to be bold, be, bold, be brave, be and be brave. fearless. Let's navigate the data ecosystem together. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Data Gurus Podcast. Welcome to another episode of Data Gurus. This is Seema Vasu, your host. And today I'm joined by Reed Kundiff, who is the CEO of Schlesinger Group. Welcome, Reed. Hey, Seema. Great to be here. Thank you for joining me. It's a pleasure to do this. And even more, it's more special because we actually got to have some face-to-face -face at the uh, CEO Summit. So this is a, a nice treat to, as a follow-up to that conversation. You're newly appointed. You're less than 90 days in the job. And it sounds like an exciting journey ahead. Before we dive into that, just if you could give our listeners a little bit of a brief background as to how you got to this point in your journey. Yeah, I'm happy to. Thank you. So first of all, I am coming to you from Bellevue, Washington, where my family and I have been for almost the last 20 years. How I got here professionally was through cutting my teeth as a market analyst. I was a Gartner for a number of years and tracked the enterprise resource planning industry for about a decade before I got the call from Microsoft to be able to move out West and ran Global Insights at Microsoft for almost a dozen years and then had a new really big interesting opportunity to be able to run an integrated team running the North America business and then all of the Americas at Kantar uh, okay. for a few How was it going from you kind of did supplier to client and back to supplier how was the change? And do you have, obviously, I can guess your preference, but did you have a preference? <laughs> so not to give you a milk toast answer, Seema, but I have really enjoyed all steps along the journey for a variety okay. of different ways. Yeah. And I've actually seen more similarities than differences. So don't get me wrong. Of course, yes, from a financial standpoint, mm -hmm. you are on one side of the table versus another side of the table. But in both cases, or in, in all cases for me, for the last several roles I've had, it is about leading teams and organizations. Right. It is about transformation. It is about figuring out what I can do from whatever lens I happen to be looking at this industry in right. to be able to say, how can I push us forward? How can I help us grow? So in that sense, supplier, client, yes, there are absolutely real differences, but for me, the similarities are a lot greater. It's so true. I mean, especially when you're leading teams, like you said, that's half the battle as it relates to where you focus your time, energy, and getting people motivated and inspired to do the things that need to get done. Yeah. I guess the difference is really probably, as I think about it, is when you're actually practicing research, either at a client side or providing insight from a supplier side. That's true. And it certainly is probably different when you are at a different scale business yes. 
Yep. Especially on the client side where I was afforded the opportunity and really just like a wealth of tools available to us as a team right. to be able to do things like build our own data platform, to be able to do our own data synthesis and advanced analytics in a way that you know maybe some other uh, client-side teams aren't necessarily afforded a need to look to agencies and suppliers to be able to support. So in that sense, there are also some more similarities sure. based on the type of client-side team I was with. Yeah, for sure. I completely agree with you. And you were at Kantar, you got a call, like how did it all happen? Walk us through this journey of how you then, you know, transition from Kantar to becoming the CEO of Schlesinger. Oh, sure. So I had been managing the insights team at Microsoft for a long time, had been through, you know, multiple business cycles, multiple CEOs, and really tried to put my heart into that team and that Mm -hmm. business and that role for a long time. And I'm a firm believer that it is important to think about the arc of your time in a role, what you're giving and what you're Mm -hmm. learning. And I would always rather leave six months too early than six Mm -hmm. months too late Mm -hmm. for a variety of reasons, but most of all for the people around me. And so when I had the opportunity to get a call from Eric Salama at the time to be able to say, hey, you know what? We're thinking about coming to market differently in North America as a more integrated uh, business, as opposed to at the time, the five divisions they were running globally from London. I jumped at it for a few reasons. Number one is it's been what I'd been pushing Eric to do as a client for about eight or nine years. Okay. And then it also was kind of the biggest, Mm -hmm. scariest door that was open in front of me. And that's how I've, for better or worse, made a lot of my career decisions in the past is what's that opportunity that is pretty scary for me to do? Let me figure out what to do there. So that was uh, honestly a huge, huge growth experience for me. Like a lot of us, we learned a ton about ourselves and our mm-hmm. people that we were working with through 2020, through 2021. This was also during the Bain Capital acquisition of the company as it spun right. out from So a ton of great learnings there. And then also, like a lot of people, as my role evolved, as ownership really started to um, shift where the direction of that company was going, right? I had, in my opinion a really transparent, open discussion around, hey, is this the right role for me? Is this the right business for me? And so then I stepped away for about a year. You know, that takes a lot of self-awareness as well and acknowledging that, hey, maybe this is not the right role for me and doing something really scary because you don't know what your next chapter is yet. That was for sure. And for me, I'd also been in a situation where I hadn't taken more than a two-week break since I was 22. So it was time, both certainly professionally and then also personally. It was great to be able to be a little bit more present around here than I had in some prior years. Yeah, I can imagine the shift that happened at home as well, right? Like, oh, you're still here. You're not on a business trip? (laughs) Yeah, that's that's probably not going to be an intense part of our podcast, but it was (laughs) in my life. So you got the one-year time off. Were you ready to go back? Were you actively thinking about going back or how did that happen? You know, I'm not someone who's going to talk a ton about like fate and karma, but my wife and I were literally sitting at our kitchen table Mm -hmm. one weekend and it was clear to both of us, but I kind of made it an explicit conversation. Like, 
I'm not ready to be a non-busy person anymore. Right. <laughs> uh, and so, hey, what, like my time's coming up, like I, I can get right. back into the industry. And so do we want to do that? How do we think about that? We were recently, like at that point, like three weeks into being empty nesters. Right. And so we both pretty quickly nodded our heads like, yes. yeah, you should probably go <laughs> find something to do. And then literally the next day, I got just an outreach from the business that okay. said, Hey, want to talk to you about, you know, something that you might be interested in. And we went from there. That's amazing. Yeah. Anyway, we won't go into the philosophical fate and karma thing, but the different podcast. Yeah. Different podcast. Okay. So now you're less than 90 days in, you are managing a huge organization. What was the piece that attracted you to Schlesinger? Clearly you have a mandate of sorts, right? In terms of coming in and uh, running the company. Yeah. So three things really okay. come to mind, Seema. So the first thing that was attractive to me was what I could learn. Okay. A different angle on the industry. So as, as you said, I've been on the client side. I have been with, you know, one of the larger agencies yes. in the business. And you can even go further back at Gartner and say, I've been on the syndicated side right. as well. And so being able to look at the industry from this business, which, as you know, mm -hmm. started out as one of the bigger in-person qualitative businesses, yes. uh, but then also look at things where a lot of the value that we provide comes from just the core raw materials around data collection that we're able to do you know, effectively and at scale. That I thought was an interesting learning opportunity for me. Also being a standalone CEO was also something that's certainly going to be a learning opportunity as well. But that's really number one is what can okay. I learn from this role? At this stage of my career, that is yeah. a really key criterion for me, as is the second one, which okay. is the culture of this mm -hmm. business which we talked a lot about yeah. when we were at the CEO summit. And, you know, I know, you know, Steve and the business really sure. well, that also becomes a lot more important to me because mm -hmm. I have worked, I've worked at some really high performing organizations over the course of my career. And that has been fantastic to work with intelligent and motivated and forward thinking people. And at the same time, if the culture is one where you know people are more cogs in a wheel, or the idea is just to be able to suck out every last ounce of productivity that you can at the lowest possible cost, right? That can be draining after a of while. Of course, yeah. So to me, what I've seen, certainly from the outside and now through the process of coming on board and, and being on the team for a short period of time, the culture that the company has that Steve and his family and the leadership mm -hmm. have created over decades, where they use the word family more than any other business I've ever been a part of. Right. Right. It has and been. I mean yes. And yeah. it has been very much a breath of fresh air to me. So that culture was the second thing. Okay. And then the third thing is the breadth of the business. Okay. So again, as, as you know, the story, Seema, around, hey, how this business was you know, founded by Steve's mother, really for a long time, did great work with in-person qualitative work, but then over the last five or six years has really expanded that into a variety of different mm -hmm. online qualitative capabilities, quantitative businesses as well. And so that breadth where you look at both audience, you look at a variety of different solutions, 
And then the client base that incorporates not just agencies, but a bit more direct to brand work as well is also, again, really fascinating to be able to figure out how do you get all of these great teams and assets and solutions in the right recipe for our clients and for the business and really start cooking. Yes. And so that seemed like a really interesting opportunity. So it hit on all three pretty quickly for you. Okay. And what has been your biggest challenge, you would say, as you step into this role? Well, challenge or opportunity? And there have been more than one. So that. Okay. Well, then let's have a chat about those. Well, so the the first one that comes to mind Mm -hmm. is really ramping up on what is a complex business. Right. Where this is where, thankfully, Steve has been really just incredible in my mind around walking that tightrope when you're in this situation where Steve was the CEO of this business for close to 25 years. Mm -hmm. And it would be really easy for him to either say an Irish goodbye and just be totally disconnected, which you see from time to time, or to be able to really have trouble letting go, right? Mm -hmm. Like we have some Seattle CEOs of uh, big companies who uh, seem to dip back into the business multiple times. So I'm, you know, familiar with that from a distance. He has done a great job of walking that tightrope of both staying connected to the business, making sure that I'm able to get that really rapid education, but at the same time, giving me space to step into the opportunity of the role. Okay. So that learning curve has been steep, but it hasn't been without a net. And that's been a big challenge. The second thing is something that I think we're all dealing with, which is the macroeconomic headwinds that we have in this market mean that, you know, a CEO coming into a business in mid-November of 2022, (laughs) right? You know, interesting things to work on to be able to make sure that we're doing as much as possible to help our clients to be proactive and out in the market as we can possibly be. So I'd say, you know, those two things have meant, uh, yeah, I've had a pretty busy couple months. I bet. I bet. What does your day look like? I'm just curious as a new CEO coming in, you know, just yeah. give us flavor what your day looks like. For sure. So I'm a morning person. So I am usually at this desk when I'm not traveling. I'm usually at this desk like around six or shortly thereafter. Okay. Uh, and that helps being on the West Coast. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that means that, you know, I don't lose too much of the East Coast day. And then it is a combination of, you know, making sure all the plates that we have keep spinning and making sure that I have a good balance of three things of, internal engagement and making sure that our teams have what they need to be able to be successful and operate at peak performance, Right. making sure that I'm engaged with our clients mm-hmm. and don't lose touch because it's really easy to focus hundred percent internally and forget about that client engagement. And then three, make sure I have some time to actually do work myself. Which uh, is the hardest thing to do. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Sure. And so sometimes does that bleed into my Saturdays and Sundays? I will say, unfortunately, most times. Yes. But I try in an ideal day, to your question, to balance those three things. And then, you know, if I can, you know, get a treadmill run or a Peloton ride in <laughs> towards the end of the day, that's great too. That's gravy. That's great. Um, okay. So what do you, I mean, the industry, you alluded to it a bit in that, you know, a lot of the agencies, there's a bit of blurry lines in terms of, who serves brands, you know, serving agencies, 
And then also the acceleration of technology that's Mm -hmm. really creating some transformation. How do you view the industry from, you know, when you look down 12 to 18 months? Because I actually think it's moving really fast. So that's why I'd say 12 to 18 or we could say three years. But how do you view the landscape? Well, so I will borrow a line from Elaine Rodrigo, who's someone that I love in this industry, okay. uh, who has been saying for the last few years, there has never been a more exciting time to be an insights professional. And I could not agree more. And I've also been talking about the digital transformation of this industry for a long time across you know, my last few roles. And so when we look out 12 to 18 months mm-hmm. around how our lives are going to change around how the industry is going to evolve. I think that path is a continuation of what we've been seeing in terms of, again, like I said, I was an ERP analyst. So I think kind of in supply chain mentalities, the volume and variety of raw materials that we take into our work is going to continue to expand. So when I think about how a lot of folks in our industry on any side, either primarily work with either qualitative or quantitative market research or both, yet a higher and higher percentage of our teams and our work will then expand to include financial data, behavioral Mm -hmm. data, social data, location data, et cetera, that is transformed on a new shop floor. Okay. We're seeing certainly a lot of the speed and the quality that we can drive leveraging AI and ML in a new way of really massaging and analyzing Mm -hmm. and pulling uh, data together. We're seeing that shift a lot. So again, it's been really interesting to me to see how technology has transformed the way people work. And I, I know there's a lot of general conversation about how we think about the manufacturing environment and manufacturing environments have changed. But when you think about the life of a PhD statistician mm-hmm. uh, and how technology is changing the way they do their work relative to even five or six years ago, that's relatively significant too. I would say as significant. So the raw materials are changing. The shop floor is changing. And what I hope is changing too is the way we deliver and land our insights for impact. Okay. Right now, and and this is, I think, where we're probably least evolved, where we still drive a lot of impact through 30-slide PowerPoint presentation Mm -hmm. delivered in a conference room in an hour or an hour and a half. And so we're going to continue to do a lot of that. Mm -hmm. Also, though, making some transitions into live dashboards. Mm -hmm. I'd like to create dashboards that people use a little bit more often and really leverage. Right. Uh, But then also really how we get embedded within the daily decision cycle that gets made in a variety of different Mm -hmm. uh, environments, whether that's certainly whether that's within, say, digital advertising, where a lot of, uh, you know, uh, our work goes, whether it's in manufacturing, whether it's in client engagement, all those areas are ways in which we can be present, not just at the beginning of a project and the end of a project, Mm -hmm. but really throughout. And that's one of the areas where I'd like to see us make some change too. I mean, the way that I love your analogy in terms of describing the raw materials, the expansion, different data sets, the shop floor, meaning the organizations that are taking those raw materials and synthesizing them, and then the delivery, obviously, PowerPoint to visualization. But when you think about it, it, you know, 
each one of those segments is going through radical change. And so it's interesting to understand which one is the driver of, you know, that's allowing the shop floor to be different, allowing the data visualization to be different or delivery to be different. And I guess I'm answering my own question in that the accessibility to all these raw materials has really changed the landscape. It's driving that change. Uh, that? Uh, yes, and. Okay. Uh, so to me, there is also yes. simply technological evolution. True. Right. That enables yes. the transformation of the shop floor, because yep. in some cases, some of this data has been around for a while. You're right. It's and just, the cost of processing has come down. That's right. That's right. right. For sure. And so then I'd also like to believe that there is a people driver as well. Mm-hmm. So not to get, you know, too formulaic about it. Sure. When you think about a typical management consulting analysis of business technology and people, Right. That is where I think part of the transformation in this industry comes from new people looking at the way in which we try and drive impact Mm -hmm. and saying, hey, the traditional ways that we've done things will still be Mm -hmm. valuable. Mm -hmm. But are there ways that we can evolve and expand what we're doing to drive even greater impact? And it is the, the individuals that come in with these ideas where that have an opportunity because we are still a small enough industry right to be able to have individuals drive pretty dramatic change right what's your thesis on the size i mean you because there's so much financial because there's investment in the space obviously tam is really important and mm-hmm. there's arguments about the tam should be larger because we impact such a greater space that you know people don't even talk about you know small business owner taking you know, getting feedback from a hundred people to activation potentially within the segment, we could potentially include that. Where do you, and I'm asking this because you mentioned that we're still a small industry. Where do you see the definition of our industry today as it relates to TAM? Yeah. I would like us to play within a big tent. So that is my preference. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the ways that we've interacted to is I'm on the board of the Insights Association. And one of the conversations that we have frequently with a variety of different opinions uh, around the room is how do we think about analytics and data Mm -hmm. science? Mm -hmm. How do we think about the breadth of our industry when we are not talking about a bespoke data set that we create either quantitatively or qualitatively. For me, as someone who is, you know, come into this industry via market analysis and then been, especially with the time I spent on the client side, data type agnostic. And so as a result, my preference would be to really focus on the impact that we can have through analysis of a variety of data that comes in place. And so for me, it's never been either market research or data science. It is always and. And that has been honestly a little bit more difficult Mm -hmm. than I originally anticipated to really get momentum in the market. I think people get really comfortable on either side with what they know. Yep. And they build narratives as to why their way is better. But you've mentioned impact a couple of times and I'm assuming what it is, but I'm now going to ask you, what do you mean by impact? Sure thing. So I've talked about this where there is a path to impact and whether or not 
you're on the client side trying to influence internal stakeholders, whether you're on the supplier and agency side, uh, trying to impact clients with whom you have a financial relationship. Right. There is this path that right. is preferably like an upward spiral mm -hmm. where at a minimum, there needs to be some level of engagement. So if you're not yes. talking to someone, it's difficult to have an impact. Right? <laughs> there Unless is, you're impacting yourself. No, I'm just joking. Go ahead. <laughs> there, there has to be a level of yes. engagement. Then there has to be a level of influence. I think <laughs> in a lot of times we confuse influence which is I provided a perspective, I provided some data, I provided some recommendations that were then acted upon. Right. That is influence. Okay. Right? Good super distinction. Yeah. Super important, a step in the path. Right. Then impact is, then I go back and somehow, even qualitatively, I measure how a team or yep. a business or a function or a capability within an organization is now improved mm -hmm. as a result of the influence I demonstrated. Yeah. It's like measuring the, yeah, it's, it's exactly the word, measuring what decisions they made and understanding exactly what that KPI was, whether it's revenue, cost, team engagement, customer engagement, whatever they use to use that data or insight to influence that decision. Correct. Yeah. And so for me, a lot of times we spend a lot of our energy, which is okay. Yeah thinking about, hey, do I have engagement? Yes. Can we provide some level of insight mm -hmm. that then gives some level of influence? Mm -hmm. And that's fine. But we don't always close the loop mm -hmm. and then say, did I really demonstrate impact? Mm -hmm. in this? What do you think prevents us from doing more of that as an industry? I think there is a mindset where that I've fallen into mm -hmm. all the time, mm -hmm. all the time, which is I consider delivery of that PowerPoint slide in that one yeah. hour meeting and conference. And great meeting. conversation and back and forth, right? Right. I consider my job done. Right. And when you do that, then you're not going to be able to close mm -hmm. that loop. And it's it, that is natural human nature. Right. It, it is really hard for us to do the follow-up call, to do the follow-up mm -hmm. analysis when we consider the job done. Yeah. I'd also say that when we consider ourselves, you know, craftspeople, Right. And when we, when we think about the act of creating a data set mm -hmm. as the function that we mm -hmm. provide, mm -hmm. then you're not focused on impact. That That's right. not your, your North Star. Yeah. Your North Star, again, which is not wrong, right. is doing great research. Right. So that is a necessary ingredient in impact. Yeah. But it's just not taking it all the way there. Yeah. It's a major change in mindset, culture to a certain degree. Like I'm almost thinking of performance reviews and KPIs saying, what was the impact of this research? And mm -hmm. kind of asking people to go back and follow up and understand, you know, don't be shy. Let's go find out what actually they did with this research or this whatever insight was delivered. Yeah. And even if, you know, your, resp your response rate yeah. to those requests is 30%, right. you probably learn a ton and you might actually feel even better about, you know, right. what you did when you say, yes, this is now part yeah. of, you know, how we live and breathe. Okay. How many times have you told people that you're a market research and they're like, what, what is that again? What do you do? <laughs> and imagine now saying we help companies, you know, reduce their, you know, EBITDA, let's say by 15% with the research we deliver totally different. Like all of a sudden you have instant understanding, not that that's the goal, but to be able to explain to friends and family what you do. <laughs> 
it is reframing for sure. It is reframing. So Reed, I mean, obviously diversity, equity, and inclusion is a, it's here to stay. It's a topic that's really critical for all of us as leaders to set the right tone and example. Give us an idea of how that fits into your strategic agenda. For sure. So deeply. And and I'd say, yeah, I want to talk about what we're doing at Schlesinger, but mm-hmm. I, I think I recognize that as a company, it's one thing, but as an industry as a whole, we're not where we need to be. Mm-hmm. And so we need to every day be committed to improvement because these mm-hmm. are decisions that yeah. come every single day. Right. So just a, a few of the things that we're trying to do that I also want to be clear, predate me, but that I very much support. Right. The first thing is I want to make sure that we, whenever possible, can promote from within. Mm-hmm. That won't be the case all the time, but I certainly want to make sure that that's the first thing that we do. Because in our case, our overall representation in a variety of different ways is actually, it, it has room for improvement for sure, <laughs> but it's not that bad. Right. When you look at our representation by level, mm-hmm. then we get a bigger challenge. Right. And so that's where that promoting from within and making sure that we can commit to mm-hmm. diverse internal promotion, that becomes pretty important. The second thing is when we look at, when we do go outside, looking at our applicant pool, I've been a firm believer for years now that you can't just simply say, we're going to take the most qualified person that's put in front of us, yeah. right? Because if you do that, because we are so far mm-hmm. downstream from all these decisions and uh, you know unequal stages of opportunity right. that have come to someone coming to us, if that's all we do, then we are perpetuating the status quo. And so that's where I want to proactively make sure that we have as diverse an applicant pool as we possibly can. I'll say the last thing is I want to make sure that we really create space and foster our employee research groups, right? resource groups, excuse me, and make sure that we facilitate a really open dialogue around gender equality, Mm -hmm. social inclusivity, mental health awareness, and a variety of different topics that are important for making sure our employees are able to show up every day, not only like proud of where they work and the way that we conduct ourselves, but then also in a way that they are not distracted, that we make, they can come with their whole selves to work. Yep. So supporting those communities and really uh, supporting also means listening to those communities is really critical for me. That's great to hear. And I think that is where leadership is moving to is I always think about how much we've learned from the people we've worked with through COVID, like things that we had no idea about, like I had no idea you were struggling with that. And now it's, you know, I wouldn't even say people want to put a lid back on it. I think it's just now wow, we're coming back into some quote-unquote normalcy. We now have this big layer, this new information and insight on people. I think that's true. And I do think about it as, in many ways, a new normal. And I'm an optimist, so I think about it as an evolved, more positive new normal. And I'll give you just one example. And that is around mental health awareness. Okay. Uh, The stigma around discussing situations that people had or were going mm-hmm. through either themselves or within their their family and friends around mental health yes um, uh, was absolutely huge and don't get me wrong still a big hill to climb for, for us. sure yes but the willingness that I've seen and and honestly I have personally around yes. uh, discussing it in a work environment 
has really changed over the last couple of years. And that's important because you don't have to look far to be able to come to the conclusion. We are still in a really big mental health crisis. Oh, yes. And I think we have many years to work through that as well. Yeah, I agree. Reed, thank you so much for joining me today. I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation and I look forward to continuing to keep in touch. Absolutely. Thank you, Sima. Thank you. Teams are in flux, but you still have to get your research in field. Partnership with Paradigm Sample means you get our expert focus on every detail of your project. We have access to over 1 million consumers and many business professionals who are eager to voice their opinions and participate in traditional and non-traditional online studies, whether it comes to sampling, programming and hosting services or consultation. We are agile and quick to meet your needs. Visit ParadigmSample.com today. Thank you for tuning in to Data Guru's podcast. This episode has ended, but your exploration doesn't have to. Head over to www.dataguruspodcast.com and access all the resources and links mentioned in today's show. You'll also find bonus content available to our podcast listeners exclusively. That's www.dataguruspodcast.com. Until next time, be bold, be brave, and be fearless.